on today's Compassion Radio. I have a friend. She was left in Kiev. She decided to stay and she was involved in a restaurant work. She had a bakery. So she united 30 restaurant owners in Kiev and they started to cook food. 5,000 meals a day mm. and feed like orphans hospitals, army, everybody who was needs that. I mean, it's amazing. And she was pregnant. Reporting from where the story's being written and where lives are being changed, this is Compassion Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Yesterday, we reintroduced you to Oksana Gorbanova, a hero of the faith, and just as importantly, a mother. With a husband on the front lines of the fight for Ukraine, a number of school-aged kids traveling with her, she now has thousands of refugees counting on her to make a way when there seems to be none. You might forgive her for calling it quits after months of this, but she's betting her life on a big God and a big family of his followers to come through. You, friend, are part of the answer to her prayers. I'll tell you how later in the broadcast. Joining her again today is our good friend and project partner with Music Works International and Serve Ukraine Project, Fred Human. We'll pick it up where we began to discuss what they really believe is possible when so many say it's just impossible. What is it specifically you want to accomplish before this war is over? Um, that's an interesting question. To make the center and people that we have and orphans to, you know, like go back to a real life mm. and to help them somehow to adapt to the new reality and keep living with the right person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say with that, just to strengthen and expand what they're doing, because 200 people is nothing to sneeze at. Mm. But let's talk about 13 million right. of those who are internally and externally displaced in Ukraine. So there's a chance to plant some seeds in people's lives and to give them a sense, not just of hope, like hoping against hope, but real hope, and also an opportunity for them to try to have some semblance of real life, even in what they're doing. I mean, she's here in the States primarily to raise funds because, you know, it costs about a hundred and well, over a hundred dollars a month. a month to give them three meals, protection, health care, uh, psychological care, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of dosh, as they say in Britain. Mm-hmm. And then the, the farm thing is amazing because they're all building it themselves. And that's something that will continue because those five ponds can be you know, part of a retreat center that they've mm-hmm. got other space for where other people can come and enjoy that. And so it's an integrated, it's a holistic in the right sense of the word, integrated solution to say, how are we going to help the people that God brings us? I mean, she saw 2,000 people come through. They've got 200 that have stuck. I'm in her peen, 22 families. We've been able to help placing windows in their houses before winter. But when you're in a town where 70% of the buildings are damaged, you realize you could be replacing windows for the next 10 years and you'd never get close. Mm-hmm. So it's these are families in a church that we know and people that they're related to. So you start with who you have right. and you hope and pray and try to build for multiplication so that people are touched through those you touch. It was really uh, gut-wrenching but encouraging to hear the stories of the people who just by replacing a window, all of a sudden they have hope. They have hope and they have the potential of saving some other lives in their own neighborhood. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have an answer on your previous question. Okay. I probably want to achieve this almost 200 people 
will get hope through everything that's going on right now. And they actually working themselves on this property we have. And then they will be possible to give hope to the rest people who will need it, you know, from who will come from the war. So the relational aspect is one thing that unites us. Obviously, we've known each other through work at UETS in Pusha near Kiev. But the idea that we're working through relationship when you look at the task, it's overwhelming and it's not just daunting, it's it's a tsunami. Yeah. But, but when you start with the relationship you have and try to do what you can do to help them, I think then there's a potential for it to grow. I remember when you and I, Fred, sat down with Oleg and Oksana Magdic back in 2017, mm-hmm. asking about what changed after the communist era. What did you do with what you had been given in order to create a new community, a new culture of worship and generosity of openness where the church had never been allowed to be open? And they said that so much of the good things about those communist youth era things, they brought forward and redeemed them, Mm -hmm. that they learned actually how to have camps, learned how to be together, how to explore together, how to discover the world together. And the strongest and most cherished memories they had as kids were things that were directly related to their communist culture, spending time together with their age group, learning to trust each other. And that those people as adults having to shift their whole mindset, their whole political system to a Western orientation was possible because they had relationships. Yeah. And that they went into a Christian camping environment. And of course, Oksana was director of that National Christian Camping Association and still is because God gave them a vision for something that was valuable in the trials they went through before. They didn't forget it. They didn't ignore it. They accepted it. They brought it into mm-hmm. their hearts. So I'm seeing the same kind of pattern you're talking about here, that have this Oksana train others on how to build community through supplying each other with food and a place to be safe. That's going to have to multiply itself into a kind of a new culture, a new way of, of assisting your entire nation coming back from the brink. As you were talking about that, we were chatting about this earlier today. The thing that consistently amazes me about Ukraine, watching that relationship translate into villages raising money to provide armor for their soldiers or a region raising money or the country raising money to finance drones. Mm -hmm. I mean, who does this? Mm. Ukrainians do. And that whole story ended with the money they raised for the three drones. The Turkish company was so amazed that they said, we'll give you the drones. Use this money for other things. Mm. They were so blown away by that kind of uh, cohesiveness, yeah. that that uh, camaraderie, that fellowship, that unity that was so specifically and tangibly expressed. It, it still blows me away. All kinds of stories. What was it? The babushka stood on the tank early, <laughs> you know, just said, you're not going to shoot me. I'm going to stand on this tank until you leave my street. Mm-hmm. And there is lots of stories like people so united, even like for me, I I have a friend actually was listening to her audio interview on my way here. Uh, we used to know each other like five years, but she was left in Kiev. She decided to stay and she was involved in a restaurant work. You know, she was mm-hmm. she had a bakery. So she united all the, uh, I mean, most about like 30 restaurant owners in Kiev. And they started to cook food like right from the early days and during like six months. And they used to cook about like, 5,000 meals a day mm. and feed like orphans, hospitals, army, like everybody who was needs that. I mean, it's amazing. And she was pregnant. She gave birth before I left to America. And I'm like, you was pregnant? I even <laughs> not noticed. So it's just what people do. I remember one of my trip to Bucha was like pretty hard. You know, sometimes you just started physically and emotionally. And I came to Bucha and there was a 
one babushka, you know, like old lady, mm -hmm. her house was bombed, like totally. She could not go in at least to collect like dishes or whatever she needs. So she uh, was living in a shack on her yard and mm. making bread every day for those who in need. So mm. when you see that kind of people, you you just make the decision again and again that I'm going to do whatever is possible to, yeah. you know, to make it happen. You rise it's to the occasion. Yeah. Churches loving on Ukrainian refugees transformed, as far as I could see, the worship environment in places like Alats, Romania, right across the river from the evacuees coming out of Odessa. When they pulled the people off of the ferries and got them to their church, they had to completely decide to shut down everything the church had been about since its inception. And in doing that, they had to make a choice that to be the church is to become the thing that Oksana's talking about. This church, one of the biggest churches in Galatz, Romania, had decided to suspend everything that the church had been about for the past 50 or so years since it had been conceived of, scrapped all of their programming, all of their job titles, everything else, and turned their entire church into a refugee center. That included the worship center itself and all the offices, everything else. So every square inch was converted into serving those who needed them. And they said, this is going to be us doing the gospel as long as God has us doing this. When it's time for us to rest and go back to our worship services, we'll do that. But we'll have to worship along the way. And they made that decision. And in doing that, the rest of the community took a notice. And when they started doing a program like you're talking about, Oksana, to actually get the restaurants in the area to contribute, to produce food for them, when the restaurants heard that the entire church had turned over their entire everything to serve, they said, well, we can at least send meals. And so they banded together and created a consortium of seven or eight restaurants that would send airplane-wrapped-style meals to their facility every day for hundreds of people coming through every single day. And they're still doing it. They're still converting what's left of their property into refugee centers. And it's morphing their entire vision for their future ministry when they get past this war. Yeah. It has grounded them again in the sense that the gospel is exactly what you're saying, Oksana. You do it. And if you're not doing it, it's not the gospel. Yeah. The side that worship plays in it, and this was something that was on my mind and heart the whole trip, because I'd heard people say, well, you know, this is war, we don't need worship. Hmm. And I said, pardon me? And even challenging the students, I taught at the Baptist Seminary in Lviv, where I've taught several times before, and I had about 15, 20 students, and said, guys, you are uniquely gifted to remind people of who God is. Hmm. They give voice to yeah. uh, the agony and pain as well as the joy, much as the psalmist did. You know, you think of the psalmist when he said, blessed is he who takes your children and dashes them against the rocks. Hmm. That's not something I hear most Sundays, but there's certainly those feelings are in people's hearts, yeah. and they need to know those feelings are okay yeah. when they recognize who God is in the midst of that. So the difference I saw in the in those students in Lviv was the same I saw in our students who we brought to uh, Morshin to the center, because they realized that that was a key part yeah. of their ministry to encourage and build up the church. This is not against anything you just said, but that's integral to it. Yeah. It is not separate from it. And that, um, well, I know that I'm committed to seeing that happen more often. Obviously, we're talking about some, doing that in Morshin, but with our students wherever they are, yeah. whether I saw them in Poland or in in uh, Kiev itself or in Lviv in that area or in England, to say, what are you doing where you are to be who God's made you to be, yeah. to minister where you are now? Yes, you're not at home. That's not easy. 
but you are still in a situation where you're called to be who you are in the situation you're located. Or to discover the person you've never been that you should have been all along. There you go. And I think about Jesus saying to his disciples after he's been caught for, you know, 24 hours straight healing people and he just keeps going and going like an Energizer bunny. And they finally say, you got to rest. We got to rest. You're you're tiring us out just watching you. And then Jesus says, man, I've got food you don't even know of. And I do think in some ways that's a literal statement. It's not some kind of metaphor for a spiritual thing. It's about I can keep going because I'm doing my father's work. He is literally feeding me the energy I need to keep going. We may collapse at the end of it, but you and I, we've all seen it from time to time. That when you serve God in places where you just keep going and going because God says, don't stop right now. This is the window of opportunity. You somehow have the energy, the stamina, the sustenance to keep going. And that's miraculous. If you want to know God's provision, go out there where your cup has to be emptied. And the cup somehow fills itself up again. You all know this because you've lived it. And there are people that are serving because of you and your example that have experienced it and are experiencing it now, too. These are miraculous things that happen to the people who are serving. And this is, frankly, the first century church in action. With this one next to me, that's for sure. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. We continue to focus our relief efforts on the intrepid Christians getting relief to the front lines of conflict in Ukraine. Oksana Gorbanova is the tip of the spear on this project. Just last week, she and team members from our partner, Serve Ukraine, finished delivering aid that you provided through your generous giving. Here's how your gift made a difference this time. A refugee and orphanage center was quickly built in western Ukraine that Oksana's volunteers currently use to serve hundreds of new refugees every day. You helped to buy seed for a new community farm and garden that is feeding hundreds of people. You helped to buy a herd of cows that is now providing children with fresh milk. And the farm itself is providing work and hope for those who feel lost and without purpose. For all of this, friends, I say thank you. And don't stop now. Please give generously today so we can keep growing our Serve Ukraine project and supporting heroes like Oksana Gorbanova. I just finished recording a new interview with Oksana that will air next week, so plan to catch those broadcasts. And a final note about this. As you've heard, a massive retaliatory strike on Ukraine occurred Monday morning that took the lives of civilians all across the country. Well, we finally heard from all of our partners, including Oksana's refugee team, and thank God, all have been spared so far. But they're bracing for a brand new wave of refugees heading their way, so again, please give whatever the Lord enables you to, to help us save more lives and deliver more hope. Just call today, 1-800-868-2478, or write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And catch us on the web, of course, at CompassionRadio.com. And now, back to the broadcast. This is, frankly, the first century church in action. With this one next to me, that's for sure. Talk to me about how you would like to frame the call to the church in the West especially. This is the opportunity we have here in the situation that you have there to do something eternal and something miraculous. For everyone, it's different because like everyone can do what is possible in, you know, in his situation or her situation and like circumstances and abilities and whatever it is. So at least as I said, it's need to be an action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whatever action, you know, person will decide, it depends from the circumstances. And I don't know, the, you know, yeah. the ability, but 
I mean, I am torn in several directions, but right now it seems to be the two poles. One is helping people realize it's not over. Mm -hmm. I mean, North Americans, well, I don't want to slam the Canadians. I've talked to most of the people who are in the U.S. Some have said, is that still happening? Mm -hmm. And I said yesterday, I think I want to share a four-letter word with them, N-E-W-S. Pay attention to what's Mm -hmm. going on in the world. And I struggle with wanting to just post a digest or a edited segment of this is what's happening. This is what you need to know. Then the other side of it is there's so many things that need to be done that need doing that there's a lot of money required. Right. I mean, a lot of money required. Their projects, we're partnering with them on these things, their projects, quarter of a million or $350,000 to do what they need to do. And then, you know, the stuff that I know we're involved in in Erpine and in other places. Right now, the strength of what's going on for Oksana or for us is that we have relationships. I mean, she's a Ukrainian. She's lived there all her life, and I've been working there 10 years. How can we leverage relationships here to link to and help relationships there? And that takes involvement and investment. Well, if we talk about involvement and investment, investment implies that there's a return, not just that you're dumping money into something. Fair enough. When we think that way... I think it's incumbent upon us to understand that we're not just investing in saving lives immediately today. We're just keeping people going. These are the places where you are living and growing and literally growing food and growing community that are going to become the sending places of the future. They will be the seminaries, the retreat centers, the youth camps, the the seminaries that will emerge from all of this, this life school of gospel that's going to transform like Ukraine has been praying about for 50 years, that we would become the wellspring of missions, outreach and focus through all of Central Asia. They expect to link up hands literally with the Koreans on the East and with the Americans and Canadians and Western Europeans on the West and be, as they've always been, one of those nodes of the uh, Silk Road that's been transformative for societies and economies for millennia. They expect to be a place where the gospel is alive and well and becomes a great sentinel, a city set on the hill. I think to keep Oksana for having to say this herself, that's what Ukraine has been and most people don't know Mm -hmm. up to this point. And I don't want to over-spiritualize it or over-simplify it, but the fact that Ukraine is the largest mission-sending nation in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. And we were just here at this same table we're sitting at now with a young lady who grew up in Kyrgyzstan as an MK. Mm -hmm. And I know that the seminary that we've both been involved with has been teaching uh, leaders in in that country for a number of years and still is in a lot of situations. So what's going on in these small stories that need to have bigger uh, currency is the fruit of what's happened up to this point. And so in some ways, it's to keep it from stopping as well as to increase its depth and breadth across that area. When I talk to our students in the, the UK, these students are now, for example, across 13 different countries in Western Europe and North America. There's a sense that they deal with guilt, hmm. that we're here, we're not in the middle of that. And that's a real issue. And I'm telling them, you know what, maybe God sent you forth like an Esther or like a Joseph. Hmm. that you are going to be able to do things and say things and have an influence to the church in the West that would happen no other way. Certainly, I don't think God raised up Putin to push Ukrainians out, but I think God wants to redeem the situation based on what the enemy is trying to do. And so that there's a need for them to be who they are, to share what they have, and to express their perspective that can change even Western Europe. 
I don't think that's too much to say. Yeah, exactly. Agree. There's been, as we know in the original church history, there was kind of a blank spot after the Gospels and the epistles were all codified and, and writing were being circulated. And when the councils started beginning a century or so later to try to identify what is Christian, what does it mean to be part of this family, since God did not return in 70 years' time or less, we now have to live with the reality that God chose differently than we expected. And during all that time, there was persecution after persecution by the Roman Empire. So they had already lived with generations worth of persecution. Yeah. But during the next few centuries, it was obvious that God had placed the church and distributed them in such a way that they were the only ones well-equipped to actually reach the Roman Empire when the opportunity finally arose. And I wonder about this with Ukraine and Russia now. I don't know of anybody on this planet that is more equipped or capable of actually reaching the Russian people. But it doesn't seem yet like the time is really there, or the door is really open. And yet, you know that it's going to come. Maybe not even in this generation, but I have great faith that God's going to prepare the hearts and the minds of the Ukrainians to finally reach a generation that has been so dramatically traumatized by this war and by this generation and this this religious nationalism that has taken deep root into Russia, and to take it on in the name of Jesus when the time's right. You saying that reminded me of a conversation I had with a mutual friend, a pastor who's got a high profile in Ukraine and has lots of friends who are Ukrainian evangelicals who are pastors in Russia. Mm-hmm. And they are saying, that, unfortunately, they have bought into Putin. Mm-hmm. And they said things, yeah, next year we'll have Easter with you and Kershatik, mm-hmm. you know, on the main street of uh, Kiev. And so it's more deeply entrenched than you were even alluding to. So that's going to take a lot to pull that thing that it's not worth praying. Please do continue. I will keep praying for Oksana, you especially, and the people you work with that God's given you to prepare your hearts for the time when God's going to say, now is the time to reach out to the aggressor, to find a way forward, to find a way back to the gospel for those who have bought into a false gospel, a false sense of my meaning, my purpose, my power in life comes from this dictator rather than from the king of kings and that other nations would not fall to that temptation either. What's a, a final word you can give us in this chapter, friends, that we can tell the church here in the West, God's been stirring in your hearts. If you were to say anything and you had no fear whatsoever that in saying it, that you would be accepted, what would you be brave enough to tell us now? Um, I wish I could grab and shake most Christians I know, hmm. uh, because even the people who are saying, is the war still going on? Or folks who in the name of trying to be, quote, even-handed, are just serving up Putin's lies, I wish I could just grab him and say, do you not see? I feel like I've been very privileged over the last 10 years to be allowed and assigned to read histories of Ukraine and biographies of Putin to understand some of the context that I've been ministering in. And so there are many times I want to grab them physically, sometimes to strangle them, other times to shake them and to say, no, you don't understand you don't understand. This is essential. It's essential for Europe. It's essential for civilization. And I don't think I'm overstating it. Because once, if Putin gets Ukraine, where does he stop? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't. He doesn't. Your turn. Yeah, I'm probably kind of like continue. If I could, probably I would show at least like a couple episodes of my life what we face to then you realize that we don't have a choice to be passive in this life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to do something anyway. 
So when right now, that's why Ukrainian does not matter what religions you are, what you believe in, you just do, you just act, you know, you just answer the needs, you help others. So that's why people united for one reason, you know, just to, how we call it, like win this evil, you know. I'm, usually when people ask me about this war, I'm saying that it's not a real war, like army against the army, it's like evil against the humanity. So this is what we are standing for. And Yeah. I would be brave enough to say that I think there is some of the attack on your nation that is because you've been an evangelical sending nation. And I pray that that fervor for the gospel does not diminish in the least. I'm just proud of both of you. I'm I'm so glad that we have a chance to be friends even at this distance. And we'll check in with you again to find out more ways we can be involved. I'll just cut the conversation off there and just say thank you both for, for being friends of ours and being friendly enough with us to give us the straight story, the real account of what's happening in Ukraine, and to see it for what it is on the spiritual plane. It's a place that God is building his kingdom, not destroying it. And thank you for not giving up on us in the West either. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Glad to be with you, always. Oksana, you've got another week or so to spend in Colorado and other states. How soon do you head back to Ukraine? On 22nd, I leave America. Okay. To Warsaw, and from Warsaw, I drive to Kiev through the motion. Through motion, yeah, as if it was on the way. Well, I wish you were coming up all the way to the Northwest, where I am, so we actually have a chance to meet face-to-face, but that's not the cards at this time. I imagine God's going to bring you back, though. Love your family. See you soon. Okay. Bless you all. Have a great night. Thanks for staying up with me. No worries. Cheers. Thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Bless you. We'll talk soon. Bye. My thanks again to Oksana Gorbanova and Fred Human for their Frontlines report today. And thank you for standing with us as we stand with them. Remember, if you missed any of the earlier discussion, the podcasts are available 24-7 at our website, CompassionRadio.com. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.